You're listening to Ideal Practice, episode number 64. And today, guys, I'm, I'm going to share with you seven of the biggest mistakes that I made when I started out in my own private practice. I'm not necessarily proud of these things, but I did learn from them. And it's occurred to me that perhaps you can learn from them too. So if you'll humor me and not give me too hard a time, I'm going to share those with you today. So stay tuned. I'm Wendy Pitts-Reeves, and with over two decades of experience in the private practice world, I've built my six-figure business while learning a lot of lessons the hard way. This is the first podcast that shows you how to apply the principles of energy, alignment, and strategy to build a practice that is profit-centered, but people-forward. This is the Ideal Practice Podcast. Hey guys, this is Wendy. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ideal Practice Podcast. How you doing? How's life? You guys having a good summer? I hope so. I'm having a really good time. I have to tell you, we are making travel plans left and right. Got all kinds of cool things coming down the pike in the fall. My coaching clients are doing fantastic, which just makes my heart happy. I've got somebody today who's been sending me pictures of her office, which she was motivated to up-level in a pretty significant way after making some really important changes in her practice. It's funny, isn't it, how when we step up to play a bigger game in any part of our lives, that has sort of a ripple effect through all parts of our lives. I see that a lot of times in my clients uh, in their work. A lot of times, it's not just the clinical work or the business that gets better. Their personal lives get better too. Like there's some kind of amazing things that happen sometimes. So I love that. And I love hearing about that from my people. I hope things are going well for you. Um, If you're having one of those days where things aren't, I just want to send you a little bit of some encouragement because I don't know about you, but we all have our tougher days. And when you start a private practice or when you're in the early years of your practice, you may have a lot of those. That's part of the learning, right? Well, I I was thinking about that because there are certain things that I see people do all the time. And I thought, you know, I've made those mistakes with bells on. And it occurred to me that it might be helpful for you if I share with you some of the mistakes that I, when I look back on it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that wasn't, that was a mistake. Oops, that was a goof. Oh yeah, I didn't even know that back then. I thought I would share some of that with you in case that would be helpful to you. The truth is it's kind of amazing, honestly, that I ever made this work. (laughs) Because when I started my own practice back in the day, it was the first business I'd ever created. I have created other ones since then. But in the beginning, I'd never done anything like this. And I had no idea what I was really doing. And y'all, I know I'm dating myself here. But when I started my practice, there was no internet. Yeah, that's how old I am. There were no coaches, there was no mastermind group. Um, Nobody in my family that I knew personally had owned a business. So I knew nothing about that side of, the, of things. There were hardly even any books I could find about running a practice. Like it was really just something nobody talked about. 
I didn't even know the word entrepreneur. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of funny to think about that now. But I had adopted a little boy. We had adopted a little boy and I wanted to be home with him part-time. So I wanted to work part-time. I could not find a part-time job as a clinician. So more out of desperation than anything, I decided to start a practice. I had a full-time job at um, a residential treatment center, but I made the decision to start a small practice on the side with the goal of easing into that so that I could be home with my, my little boy. Well, good Lord, I totally stumbled forward in blind faith. I had no idea what I was doing. I literally pulled out a phone book started calling other therapists in the in the in the town where I live and said, "Do you happen to have an office I could borrow? Anybody got an office I could borrow?" I found an office to rent. This is going to make you guys laugh. I rented a space from a psychologist in town, a very well-respected sort of senior clinician who said I could use his space for $10 an hour and I could only use it when I actually had a client to see. So if I didn't have any clients, I wasn't to go there. But if I actually needed to do a session, I could use his office for $10 an hour, which is really, really funny to think about now. But you know what? He had never rented or shared his space with anyone before. So he was willing to take a chance on me, which I will always be grateful for because that really was kind of the first step forward, right? So I got a space and then I mentioned to a few friends that I was looking for referrals, just kind of casually. I went to the local office store and bought a ledger book and I basically made up some kind of an intake form and then I just sat back and waited. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I wonder where I'm going to get a client. Ha! Well, eventually... The day came when another psychologist actually that worked with me at the residential treatment center where I was, she came to me and said, I have um, a woman I've been working with and she and her husband could use some help. Would you be interested in seeing them? Well, yeah, of course I would. And so with that, I was in business. But oh my gosh, the learning curve. I made a lot of mistakes, y'all, in those first few years. I lost a lot of money. I look back on it now, and I'm not sorry about it, because through all of it, I was learning. And those mistakes, mistakes are just another word for the growth, right? That's what it is. So I thought I would share with you some of the biggies in no particular order. I'm just going to kind of talk through these a little bit and hope that you can skip some of that mess that I had and get things right from the start. So let me share a few of these. Not surprisingly, a lot of them had to do with managing money. (laughs) When I look at this, I'm like, yep, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Well, the first one was that I did not know that you needed to have a separate bank account for your business from your personal expenditures. I did not know that. I, I had kind of a vague idea that I needed to maybe track business, you know, income and expenses, and that maybe I need to keep that separate personally. But I didn't really know why that mattered or how important it was. I didn't understand that concept at all. Well, it took me a while to learn this. But today, I, I have a firewall between my business life and my personal life financially, and you should too. 
You need a business checking account, a business savings account. You need a person, whatever personal accounts you have. They should have nothing to do with each other. And if you pay yourself a salary, tell me you do that, right? You do pay yourself a salary. If you don't, you need to. (laughs) You literally pay yourself from your business income or checking account to your personal, just like you would if you were an employer, right? So, but I didn't know that back then. So I, I had it all in one big bucket and I would just try to track things on paper. Well, that's not a good way to do things. Financially, tax-wise, there's lots of reasons for doing that. You need to have separate bank accounts. I had no idea. The second big mistake that I made back then was I had no way to prepare for and pay quarterly taxes. I didn't even know such a thing existed. And it wasn't until I met, so actually it was somebody in my church who did taxes um, kind of on the side. He had, a, he had I've forgotten what he did, but he had a regular job, a full-time job, but liked doing taxes. Yes, there are people like that in the world, which is amazing in itself. But he was doing taxes for people on the side in the evenings. And I heard that and I said, I said to him one day, can can you maybe help me? Because I don't know anything about this. And I've started a business and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. So I met with him and learned about the concept of quarterly taxes, estimated taxes that we do here in the US. I don't know if this happens anywhere else, but we do it in the US. Well, I not only wasn't doing that, I had no way of tracking that or keeping up with it. And when I learned that I needed to be doing that, it was scary because I never had the money to pay for it. Right. I didn't know how much I needed to have. I didn't know. I mean, it was a, it was kind of, it was a little rough and there were a lot of sleepless nights, honestly, in the beginning when I would just lay awake praying that some big insurance check would show up so that I could pay that bill. Cause it was usually, I don't know, a few thousand dollars that I needed to be paying quarterly. I never had that. Well, somewhere along the way, somebody suggested putting money aside all as you go out of everything you get paid. And when I heard that, I started doing that. So I literally, like I would collect copays. This is when I had a full insurance-based practice. So I was seeing maybe 25 people a week, give or take. And they were paying me, you know, $20, $30, $50, $45, $32, $17, crazy little weird amounts. I would collect all that. I would take it to my bank on Friday morning. I would hand it to the teller and I would say, put all of this in my checking account. So that I dumped it in my business checking. So I dumped it all into one place. And then I would say, now I need to take 20%. It was like 20% or 25% depending. Sometimes I changed it. But at least 20% of that, I would pull back out again and put into a separate business savings account specifically for taxes. That was hard to do at first because there wasn't a lot of money and it was hard to pull it out. But do you know what? That was one of the best things I ever did because I never had to worry about having money for taxes again. I always had it. And usually I had more than I needed. So that was really helpful, but I had to mess up for a while before I figured that out. The third thing I can remember was that um, I'm always embarrassed when I think about this, but um, I had no good system for tracking client accounts. I never really knew exactly how much a client or their insurance company owed. So when clients would ask me what they should pay, I always had trouble telling them. And that was really, really embarrassing. 
like really badly embarrassing. I felt like such an idiot all the time. I didn't have a billing service in the beginning. In the beginning, I tried to do it all myself, which was fine when I only had one or two clients or three or four. But when you've got 25 a week and you've been in practice for a while, it doesn't take long before there's a backlog. And I will tell you, I lost a lot of money because I wasn't able to keep straight what people owed. This was also one of part of my beef with the insurance world was it was never predictable. So that made it harder. And I'm not very good at that kind of stuff anyway. So it was a really a mess. And um, I know that I had people that probably owed me literally like two, $3,000 that I never collected because I couldn't go back and document it. Well, today, most of my clients pay me in full up front the day that we meet or even before that. So I really don't really have anything to track anymore. If I do, the bare minimum might be that, you know, somebody owes me for a session, but that never lasts more than a day or two. So I don't, <laughs> it's really good for me, people like me, not to have something like that to keep up with because I will do almost anything to avoid working on billing. Yeah, there's a reason why I talk about this so much because I was terrible at it and I have had to learn how to get a handle on it. So that was terrible. I did not know how to track what people owed me. Now today, I do think this is a little bit easier with some of the EHR systems that are out there. But if you take Medicare, for example, that can be really complicated. If you do take insurance, I know it can be really complicated. So I feel for you. Just want you to know that. The fourth thing is so funny. You, you know what? Pretty much all of these, when I think about it, every single one of them are related to money. I hadn't really thought about that till I sat down and started working through this list that I made. But every single one of them had something to do with how I was handling money in my accounts, in my, in my practice. That says a lot, doesn't it? Well, the fourth thing was that I was totally dependent on insurance claims back then. So if you have a full practice and you are 100% insurance based, this is you. Hopefully you're way better at this than I was. Back then, I only filed claims once a month if at all. I mean, if I filed them at all, you know, I did it once a month. I literally kept, I made myself a little form where I would write down the client's name, the code for the kind of session that we did, the charge for that day and the date. And I would just kind of keep a running log of all that. And then at the end of the month, I would sit down and try to process those claims. I know I hear you. Some of you are groaning to even hear that. Don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> that was the system that we had at that time. I know that today, a lot of you are filing, even when you do do claims, you're doing them that day. Yay for you. And if you have a billing service, I hope they're doing it that day. Like not that week, certainly not that month, because the way that happened for me, because I had an inadequate system for keeping up with accounts, because I hated dealing with billing, so I tended to avoid it. And because I waited so long to file those claims, that meant payments, if they came at all, often came literally three, four, five, six months after a session. If there was a problem and they didn't pay something or they kicked something back out, that's how long it took to find that problem. That's really hard on a household budget, I have to tell you. Now, by the time I stopped taking insurance, which was many, many years later, I had gotten a lot better at that. I was filing them at least weekly. Today, if you do insurance, I hope you are sending those claims in at the end of the day. Absolutely. It was a mess. What can I say? 
The fifth big mistake I made back then that took me a long time to fix was that my rates, my hourly rates, were embarrassingly low. Now, I've talked about this a few times over the years, so you may have heard this before, but um, I was submitting claims through, I was part of a um, an organized group of providers that had come together as an independent practice association. And part of what we got as being a member of that organization was that they would file the claims for us, which was very nice. I appreciate that. It was very, it was a much easier way to do things. But the guy who ran that, who was someone I deeply admired and respected, came to me one day and said, told me that, he said, Wendy, honey, you don't have to be submitting your discounted rates, your insurance rates. Give us what you actually charge. The insurance will take the price off. You don't have to do that. And I was, I didn't know what to say because I was giving them the actual rates that I was actually charging. That was both mortifying and really funny. So yeah, I went back to my office and raised my rates. You know I did. Uh Uh-huh. And I have done so periodically ever since. And I don't struggle with that nearly today like I did back then. But my rates were so low, y'all, that it was embarrassing. That does not serve you and it doesn't serve your clients. There is a perception involved in your pricing structure. Make sure that you are adequately pricing for the value of the work that you do. And you know the work you do is good, right? Yeah. Well, another thing that I was doing back then... And I didn't see this either for a very long time, but this has become this has become kind of a pet peeve of mine or something that I feel really strongly about today once I got it. And that was that I was enabling my clients. And Lord, I did not see that. Because I myself was so uncomfortable with money. I didn't like seeing it, talking about it, touching it. I didn't want it to interfere with my relationship with my clients. My relationship with my clients, even today, y'all, this doesn't ever change. My relationship with my clients, both counseling and coaching, is sacred. And I never want money to get in the way of that relationship. But money is important. I avoided it so much that I had people who had account balances that crept up, sometimes $1,000 or more. And then sometimes they would find themselves in a hole that they couldn't get out of. That was my fault for letting that happen. I should have never let that happen. And of course, you know this when they owed me that kind of money, you know that impacted the work. It had to. Even when I didn't know it, or wasn't conscious of it, or wasn't aware of it, there's always in the back of your mind that you're sitting here meeting with somebody yet again who owes you $1,000 for the last few months worth of work, right? You can't help but not be aware of that. And I guarantee you, your clients are aware of it too. I will never forget a particular family that I worked with for a couple of years that I just adored. I thought we had a great relationship. But when I finally kind of began to get my act together and began to sort of push them a little bit about the $1,500 that they owed me, they pushed back and our relationship faltered and fell apart, which I'm not proud of as a clinician at all. And I never did get paid for that. Well, you know what? I own responsibility for that. That was my failure as a business owner and as a therapist. 
Well, I learned from that, and I never let that happen again. Today, I don't let an account get more than a few days behind, if at all. But it's it's just not an issue for me anymore because of the changes I have made to my practice. But it, it was for a long time. That was a mistake. I didn't know any better. Now you know better. Don't let your clients fall behind. Don't let them dig themselves into a hole they can't get out of. All right. And then the last one is such a subtle one. Even today, sometimes I laugh about this. Did any of you hear the episode last week, my last week's episode when I was talking um, with uh, Myra Holtzman? She's an LCSW out of Denver, Colorado. One of the things that my, it was a great interview. If you didn't hear that, you've got to go back and listen to it because it was just delightful. But one of the comments that Myra made as she was sort of reviewing the growth that she has been through and how her practice has evolved over time. She talked about investing in coaching and what a big difference that made for her. And she said that when she invested in coaching, she consciously wanted to 10x that investment. She said she said that she had always known that there was a difference between the concept of cost and the concept of an investment. A cost is just a cost. Going out to dinner is a cost. You get a good meal, that's nice, but you're not really getting anything back for that. An investment is something that is money that turns into money, right? Money that turns into money. So by hiring a coach, a really good one, she definitely made money from that because her practice grew so much from what she learned. Well, I thought about that when I thought about this next big mistake. The other big mistake that I made when I look back on this that I see it now was that I never thought about making a profit. I only thought about getting paid. And that is not the same thing. It's just as talking about the difference between a cost and an investment. There is a difference between just getting paid and making a profit. Now, if you had asked me back then, if I was making a profit, I would have said I didn't really care because I didn't. I used to joke, I used to say, all I care about is helping people. And as long as I make enough to buy groceries, I'm good. (sighs) Y'all, that was really small thinking on my part. Because it is entirely possible to help people and be profitable. In fact, your business needs to be profitable. That's why you're running a business to make money and help people. This is not an either or proposition. I lost thousands of dollars with that kind of mindset. And that hurt me and hurt my family. Today, I do think about profit. And you know what? I'm fine with that. And I hope you are too. So those are some of the mistakes that I made. And it is no accident. It's cracking me up actually now as I've talked this through with you to realize that all of them were around finances. I was I was and still am a really good clinician. I didn't have... I mean, maybe one or two things here and there, but for the most part, I handled things fine as far as that went. I did really well in all kinds of ways. <laughs> but in these, these were all areas where I made really glaring mistakes that cost me significantly in those first few years that I was in practice. So I'd love to hear from you. Have you found that you've made a certain mistake in your own practice? Or have you ever caught yourself making a mistake? If so, what did you learn from it? And what changed in your practice as a result? And if you don't feel like you have so far and nothing really jumps out at you, is there anything that I've shared today that makes you think about that differently? If so, I would love to hear from you about that as well. 
because that's what I want to do here is help you avoid some of the messes that I made in my own practice. Well, there you go. That's what I got for you today, guys. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope you've got a good laugh out of it. I hope perhaps you have learned a thing or two as well. And with that, I hope you have a beautiful week and I will see you next time here on the Ideal Practice Podcast. Bye now.